I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. You know, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supple with us tonight, what do you say? Hello and welcome to another episode of The Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and I've got the prettiest mother. That's what I tell everyone. <laughs> and my name is Colin Drucker, and that's me, Hortense. <laughs> <laughs> the name of all names. The name of all names. Like, Hortense Daigle, you know? It just sounds like a box of toys rolling down the stairs, you know? It's just like Hortense Daigle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Here we are. Here we are. We are here, as the title of the episode suggests, we are here to talk about, specifically, uh, but certainly in addition to others, Eileen Heckert as Mrs. Daigle in 1956's The Bad Seed. Uh, mm. Which is uh, I've I've dedicated an entire episode to this performance in the details. So any crossover listeners who've already heard me dissect every moment of Mrs. Daigle in the Bad Seed, get ready for Groundhog Day, girl. Uh, <laughs> but I um, I'm so excited about this because uh, you had not seen the Bad Seed, and we yeah. have not talked about it at all until this at moment. All. Oh, at all? Yes. I am. Well, first, I want to say this is your birthday episode, Colin. This is uh, I I texted you early. I know it's not exactly your birthday today, but um, it's the closest we're going to get. And next Mm -hmm. week will be my birthday episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. It's this podcast is flown by two Aquarians. It's a miracle we get episodes out every week. (laughs) I know. It really is. It really is. Um, Um, So happy birthday. How does it feel? It's like the Bobby Baby 36. I can't believe it's been a year already it's been a year i know so my 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 bobby baby 35th year ironically had very little company in it because um you know covid joke yeah but i'm bump yeah uh but uh you know 36 you know i've always so i'm turning 36 obviously and mm-hmm. in my mind, when I was younger, there was always something about 36. It was always like, oh, like guys were 36. Like I had, when I would think about like, you know, cause especially like once I was like in my early 20s and I was dating and, and et cetera, I was, you know, working through my issues by like meeting a lot of older men. And so I would think like, oh, like a guy who's like 36 or 42 or like there was just these like perceptions I had. Um, and for some reason, 36, like I had a very, like it, to me that always read is like, oh yeah, that's a guy who's like, you know, the wheels are on the track, you know, he's like, things are clicking yeah. into place and like, he's got a nice beard and like, I know I can't grow a beard, but otherwise I'd say things are pretty Same. good, you know? So 
Um, it's so interesting that you mentioned the number 42 because that's my age. I feel, uh-huh. and that's not my age, but that is my, <laughs> my <laughs> age. I think that's like the sexiest number for some reason. There's something about the number 42 that I'm like, yes. Yup. Like a yep. man who's 42 signed me up. Yup. I wonder what that is. I don't I know. I don't know. I can't really put any <laughs> like words to describe that. But yeah, 36, it's like, it's closer to 40. How do you feel about that? Are you, it's like, are the walls closing in or are you still far away enough from the wall Ooh. where you're like, this is good. The water feels fine. Good question. You know, I have found that as I've ascended in decades, I've made more sense to me. Um, and some of that mm-hmm. might just be age, but like my teens were awful and my 20s were ridiculous and my 30s have been better. And I think my 40s are go like, I think it's like, it's all going to click into, I don't want to say all, you know, but like, I think a lot of the, a lot will click into place in my forties. I think that's when this wine will have aged appropriately. Um, and after that, right. it's just vinegar. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you leave the cork off too long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't even cook with me. Yeah. <laughs> So true. Well, I, I, because I, I, I mean, I'll go into it next week when I talk about age uh, for me too. But I, I totally agree. Uh, I really do. I think the 40s are where life begins. And I've heard people say that too. It's mm-hmm. like the 20, 30s are a better version of your 20s and 40s are a better version of your 30s. As far as just like, I don't think anyone's ever going to have it figured out. But I know what you're saying when you say that the pieces feel like they're coming together mm-hmm. and you're finding you. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely none of the the strife of being 26, you know? I mean, yeah. I would never go back to those times. I like ugh. So, um so hopefully yeah, I'll gross. look back on 36 when I'm, you know, 42 and be like, "Oh, he, he had no idea. I had no idea how it would all click together." And um yeah, and it's so far away. It is. is far. It's it so really far is. away. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm good with it. It's, you know, I I certainly have had my thoughts and feelings and my like, "Oh, you know, like, what am I doing? Not what am I doing with my life, but kind of like, you know, I I'm, I'm single. Do what do I, yeah. what do I want? Like, I don't know. I don't think I want kids. Like, do I want to be in a relationship? Do I want to be like traveling now? Like, what do I want to be doing with my life um, mm-hmm. at 36? And uh, I guess, you know, depending on when things open up in the, in the world is uh, when I'll be able to answer that question. <laughs> Yeah, I was th- I was talking to Keon the other day too. It's like there are a small percentage of people in the world. I would say maybe mid March up to like, I mean, I hope not summertime that are gonna have two quarantine birthdays because this is both our first quarantine birthday. Yep, you yep. and I. Yep. And, and there are people like mid March, maybe to like June or July. Hopefully not, but probably that are gonna have a second quarantine birthday, and that's. I mean, first world problems, you know, what right. I mean? but also um, that sucks that it's that part of the year because we won't have a second quarantine birthday. God hope. We don't have God a willing. Birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I, uh, I feel like, you know, we're not out of the woods, but I think just in, in as much as times have changed in the past few weeks um, mm-hmm. and whatever 2021 is right now, I'm like, okay, I'm not saying I'm loving this chapter, but I think it's a different chapter, you know, like. We're yes. not out of this book, but I think we're at least in a new chapter of it. And so even if that's just psychological, I'm like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, but it's all temporary. Yeah, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, no, I uh, I'm hoping to because uh, I don't you know on that note I don't really have any big plans for my birthday. I don't really. I took like two days. I took Monday and Tuesday off because my birthday's on Sunday. So I thought let me give myself an extended Ooh, vacation. Yes. Yes. Um, but like you know, I might try to like go to a museum or something. Like realizing like there are things I can do. I just have yeah. to kind of like make reservations or whatever, um, or at least just like go to Target. Like I haven't gone to a Target. Oh. Treat yourself. I know. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Keon, it's my 35th, so I was like, and of course, if the world was open, I'd have a big bash too, but um, he was like, what if I just took you to all of your favorite stores and just like bought you stuff? Not like a $7,000 shopping spree, but like just stuff that I've been eyeing up. And the first thing I thought of was Target. Yeah. It might be lame to others, but it is uh, perfect for me. And maybe Barnes and Noble, just walk around with a coffee. Oh, uh, look at the magazines as if it's 1998 yes. again. Yeah. Well, listen, yes. Keon, if you're listening, don't it maybe surprise Nick, but maybe you, if you want to stop by the McDonald's, buy the Target, <laughs> swing through the drive-thru, don't go in, uh, oh, snack wrap. We're going to need lunch, Colin. Small we're fries. Lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and then park <laughs> and sit. It's Otherwise, oh. it goes bad. <laughs> And a Diet Coke. And a Diet, and a Diet Coke. Coke. I mean, you gotta get the Diet. Coke. Yeah, it's 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 a flavor combo. You know, it's like you eat white wine with fish. You eat Diet Coke with snack wrap. You know, <laughs> eat Diet Coke. <laughs> Someone told me. Wait, I need our listeners to weigh in on this because I might be wrong, and I, I'm willing to eat my words. But I feel like I tried to order a snack wrap recently, and they didn't have it. Remember, I texted I, you that. I yes, I feel like I blocked that out because that's not part of the world that I want to live in. But yeah, I remember you said it's not part of my fantasy. It's not in my French vanilla fantasy at all. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I do remember that, and I and I don't know where to land on that. Yeah, I think we need some. I might do some investigative journalism about this because that is that's a staple. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, speaking well. of staples of our lives, let's get back. To where I love that. By the way, that we're talking about the bad seed on the like your birthday. Oh, episode, I know. Like, I, it's just like so funny. <laughs> I didn't even put that together, but I love that oh, being that's... born a bad seed. But oh. you're quite the opposite. Oh, Colin. thank you. Oh, thank you. I um, <laughs> I uh, I love that. I yeah. I um, I certainly don't identify with Rhoda, but in so many ways, identify with Christine because. I would love to live my life at a 27 the way Christine Penmark does. <laughs> oh, yes. And I, I think the first question, because I, of course, we'll get to like my reactions and thoughts. Yeah. I want to hear how you found this. Was it a stumble? Was it like, oh, I've heard of that. What was your journey? Well, a, movie? a lovely question. Appropriately enough, I feel like I've been aware of the bad seed. Like I kind of, you know, I, I knew three things about it. You know, it was like I knew enough if someone t- brought it up at a party, I could say, oh, right, with Patty McCormick and the pigtails and she's a killer kid. Like, I could do that, you know. Sure. Um, and then that would be kind of the extent of it. And then I think it was through the, you know, looking through like Best Supporting Actress nominees and um, and winners, probably like looking for, you know, who we would talk about for this podcast. This came up because, of course... Patty McCormick and Eileen Heckert were nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And so we love to see it. We, we love, love to, see, to it. see it. We love to see it. And so then I was like, okay, why is this movie like, why is it keep, you know, what's going on here? And so then I yes. thought, I think at one point I was just like, let's just, you know what? Like, let's just take the leap. What's the worst that could happen? And I, 
I and I I wasn't even like I didn't know enough about it to know like was Eileen Heckert playing Rhoda's mother like I didn't I was like let's just see what happens and so then I watched it and it just I was like what like what is happening like I just I couldn't believe I had not opened this treasure chest full of things that I yeah. love and mm-hmm. and then it was just one of those things like there are those movies there's like lazy susan or whatever that i like i find and then i become obsessed with and then i'm like just like deep diving into clips of eileen heckert and like you know looking at more about nancy kelly and trying to find stills from the broadway production because <clears throat> nancy kelly patty mccormick and eileen heckert were all in the broadway production and so i was like oh i want to mm-hmm. see like the broadway version and i just became obsessive and um, kept mentioning it to you, of course, because, you know, uh, I had to tell anybody I could, um, dedicated two episodes of In the Details to it, and now here we are. Yeah, I I will say I have to start with an apology of for, to you for waiting so long to watch this. I feel like we need to have a term, and, and with Squirrel Friends, I used to call it a mandatory, a mandatory mm. watching, because Amanda mm-hmm. would just yell at me until I watched it. Right. Um, but I think uh, we need to, like, have the card where you say, no, I know I suggested you watch it, but you really need to watch it. Because, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's crazy. As I was watching this, I was like, God damn it, why did I wait so long? But here we, I mean, I eventually did, but I know you've been at, like, just casually mentioning it uh, for a while a while now. I feel like it's been on your radar for at least like three months, two months, something like that, right? Yeah, I think when I that did. episode of In the Details? Yeah. The one, I, the one I did on Christine, I think, was in October because it was like the scary nuances month. And then yes. the Mrs. Daigle one came out in December. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah. For, this has been like a, a recent obsession. Um, even in my prestigious award show on In the Details, the nuances, uh, yes. Nancy Kelly was a, a winner, and Eileen Heckert Ooh. received the Beatrice Strait Award for Excellence in Nuance. I oh, I know the yes. Associated Press had picked it up, but I think <laughs> then you know the insurrection happened, and I think I just kind of got like overshadowed. But um, yes, the coverage wasn't what we wanted. It wasn't but, what we um, wanted. Those who saw it or yeah. listened to it, they know. I mean, honestly, it's like this is a movie all about women. Of course, like we have Leroy and there, and then there's you know. Uh, uh, Christine's um, father that comes in eventually too, but mm-hmm. it is largely made for us. It, it is a movie like that's BSA centric and just women going to a 27 and just kind of living in that world. Um, it makes perfect sense that this is a play as soon as I like the way that there's just like a lot of revolving doors and everyone's just kind of coming in and just, it's beautifully written. I don't know how much, of like the screenplay was like really adapted. I would love to like read the play that mm. see just to see the differences too. But I know we're going to get into all of it too, but just like hot takes of when I watched this, I was glued to my television and I was waiting for Mrs. Dago. I texted you. I was like, I've started it. I'm really, I, I was just so, um, you're like kind of immediately in this world because you know that something is not right. And I do attribute that a lot to the music, which we'll probably oh, talk about too. I'm so glad um, you brought up the music already. Yeah. Thank you. Go on. It's, uh, it really adds to it for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what music is supposed to do. Duh. But, um, as soon as Mrs. Like talk about an entrance, Colin with Mrs. Dago. Cause I knew she was going to come. Yep. And I was like, God, I hope she comes to the house again and she does again. And it's, we'll, we'll get to it. But, all in all, I was 
I could watch this movie like six more times and Ugh. probably will. I, I I had to rent it on YouTube. Unfortunately, it's not streaming, but maybe I might just buy it because it is quintessential BSA viewing and just women actressing, you know? Oh, 110%. I, I do recommend buying it. It's only like six bucks on YouTube. Um, or I can, you know, we can put a link in the description, but uh, the Internet Archive, archive.org, has a, okay. uh, a a free version of this as well. So um, Ooh, nice. for what it's worth. Um, yeah, I, I, of course, agree. I think, you know, our, the first episode of this podcast was called The Quintessential Best Supporting Actress. And... I think retroactively, I have to put in Mrs. Daigle slash Eileen yes. Hecker. I think oh. the function of her in the movie, the way she enters, the way you're left wanting more, the way when she enters, the rest of the movie falls away. Like, yes. At that point, I'm like, I could see this go on for 20 minutes, this one woman show. Like, it's. It's incredible. And it's all told in a two hour movie, it's 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, it, it's, uh, I, there's maximizing this, the potential, uh, maximizing possibilities. Oh, you know what? Hold on. I have it. You know, I, to, that's like our BSA family crest. It's our family crest. Have, I have it um, saved in my favorite pictures so that I don't lose it. Here it is. Okay. Uh, this is from this this website, this blog that used to do these best supporting actress like showdowns and comparisons, and the, I think the blog was called Stinky Lulu. So this one's for you, Stinky Lulu, from like 16 years ago. Um, it's all about appropriate proportions with maximum possibilities. Ah, mm. yes. So and I feel like uh, I not to even like cut off the the conversation, but I feel like if we keep going, we'll keep going, and I want to save it for. I want to, of course, talk about her, but I, there's some other ladies and women or, and little girls in this movie, too, that I want to talk about before we get to that main event. But yeah, where, where should we go from here? Um, I don't think we need to talk about Leroy, Leroy too much. I think He's that he like is that, like yeah. watching him again. I was like, he that role is so good. He is so good. It at is. It. Like mm-hmm. those little showdowns in the garden under the oh, yeah, scupanabra, really whatever she's the arbor scupanabra, whatever the hell that thing was called. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, he is just like so. I love. I mean, the classic scene, of course, is like, "Give me those shoes, give yes. me back," and, and the way he's like, "I ain't got your shoes." The way he's like, <laughs> he's just like losing his marbles about it. Uh, and but then when he like has that moment of realization of like. You really did do it. And like it's Yeah. It's a little face journey that he has. And I I believe he was in the Broadway production as well. Um a Good, lot of yeah. these actors had come over from the Broadway production and how refreshing that that actually happened that yeah, day. Yeah. Uh I, I that was one of my big take- takeaways watching this again is that I love Leroy. Oh, interesting. I was so like unnerved by him because I didn't know if he was evil or not, but for what you're saying, yeah, he. Def- I mean, he he's a pivotal part of the plot. He's mm-hmm. the only person that can see through and really confront Rhoda with what she's doing. But it's kind of like a ruse until he realizes that it isn't. Like you said, when he actually, it hits him that oh man, mm-hmm. this, this this little girl is a cold blooded killer. He still had like there's we don't ever kind of find out, but I feel like 
there's definitely some some creepy elements of Leroy. Like he's definitely not an innocent person or like a trustworthy character, but he's definitely the first one who's on to her. And I think it's narratively it's so interesting to take this guy who everyone else sees as a simpleton and it's like he's and he's saying to her like you know i'm smart i'm you know and i'm you're smart and i'm smart and like it's an interesting thing that like the person they identify as childlike can see through the child um who's pretending to be childlike you know oh for sure and i was rooting for Leroy. i was sad when ultimately he um you know, it doesn't end well for Leroy, let's put it that way. But I, I thought he might have made it through. I thought they would have got him in time. But I knew that was going to happen. As soon as mm-hmm. I, I knew that he was in the basement and slept behind, like, the, the furnace, I was like, he's going to die down there. <laughs> like, oh, she's yeah. Gonna burn him alive. Yeah. And, uh, and then, lo and behold, she did. Sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, you definitely expect it. And, like, it it would be shocking if it didn't happen. When you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, from act one. It makes perfect sense. You know yeah. that Leroy's going to get it eventually. Uh, yes. But, yeah, and that scene, I mean, you know, it it goes to a lot of, you know, Nancy Kelly. But the audio of him, because we, we don't see him dying, but we hear him yeah. dying. And it's mm-hmm. pretty awful. Like, it's it's, yeah. it's pretty intense. Um, but uh, so poor one out for Leroy. Poor one out for Leroy. <laughs> Henry Jones is the actor. Yeah. Uh, so uh, kind of on that note, in terms of like the the Broadway production versus the movie, um, mm-hmm. because uh, I think yeah, like Joan Croydon, who played Miss Fern, was in the Broadway production. Yes. Um, Evelyn Varden, who played Monica, uh, and I think, and then also obviously Nancy Kelly and Eileen Hackert and Patty McCormick. Um, so it's like. Uh, I feel like that that sort of informs a lot of these performances and a lot of like the dynamics between these people because there's a lot of moments where I'm like, oh God, you guys did this like 500 times already. You know, like there's a lot yeah. of scenes that just kind of flow, you know? It's, it's kind of our thesis. Uh, that's It's an obvious sort of statement too. When, when you think about how many times like, especially like a, a successful Broadway run of a show, you think of Viola Davis and Fences, you think of... Um, uh, Kim Hunter and Streetcar, mm-hmm. and and then you think of, um, was Sandy Dennis in the original cast? Was that like a, a Broadway transplant or not? Because it just no. feels like it. I guess it was just like that they seem so lived in that it can it confused me. So that's not one of them. But yeah, it's like talk about doing your homework and really just walking in on day one on the set and be like, yeah, I I know exactly who these women are and we're mm-hmm. we're ready. And yeah. It shows. Yeah. Yeah. I like even, you know, like the chemistry between like Monica and uh, and Christine. It was like there were just these little moments where I just felt like, oh, you guys have already worked. You've worked through this already. You worked through this a couple years ago. Yes. You know, Monica Breedlove. I love that name. Monica Breedlove. Let's talk about Monica Breedlove. Yes. Because she is, you know, my my first few watches, I, I was like, oh, God, she's so annoying. Um, but then like this most recent rewatch, I kind of saw the layers of what she's playing. And I think like there's just these little things where I realize like, oh, she's she's kind of a little loopier than I'm that I'm realizing. Like she's not just playing one note of being like a know it all or being just kind of. I don't know. There's just like way of speaking that I'm like, oh, Monica, like bring it down a notch, you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I, yes. I, I really enjoyed her more the last time I watched it. Uh, what do you think of Monica? I say um, that the actress Evelyn Varden has like such Angela Lansbury energy, mm. like that, like the way that she speaks. It's that very like calming sort of like 
grandmother vibe also. Mm-hmm. But I agree. There was something about her. I was like, I, she's kind of aloof. And I guess she mm-hmm. almost has to be because she is totally 100% smitten with Rhoda in, in every sense of the word. She does not even suspect that Rhoda could like pull this off mm. um, or do anything that she has done. Um, I love how she rolls her R's. I, I think there is like a theatricality to her everyday persona, like that she talks about psychology and Freud and all this other stuff. And I, I, I didn't dislike her at all. I think as it went on, she grew on me too. But like where I was most frustrated with just the character, not the performance, is when she could clearly see um, that Christine was like in peril and she wasn't able to like, she just like dismissed it. You know what I mean? She didn't Mm. say like, what's what's happening? Even though she asked her what's wrong and gave her the hug in the kitchen and everything like that. It's like she was just, she couldn't really come to terms that with that. Nor did she really know that it was Rhoda's fault, I guess, until she like knew at the end or whatever. But but did she know at the end? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think that's uh, it does hint at a major difference between the Broadway production and the movie is the ending um, because. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So in the book and in the play. Uh, and obviously these are spoilers, but this is a very old movie. So um, yeah. Yeah, much much like my wine, uh, yes. it's already passed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's vintage enough to say uh, no spoilers. Um, yeah. So in the book and in the play, at the end, Christine drugs Rhoda and then shoots herself. And then Monica hears the gunshot and that's what alerts her to rescue Rhoda, but Christine dies from the gunshot wound. Mm. And then the play and the book end with Rhoda getting away with it. Um, and so, like, in the, they changed it for the movie because of the, like, the Hayes Code, like, the moral code was, like, someone who commits a crime can't, you know, get away with it in the end. And so that's why at the end, uh, we have the scene of Christine. I mean, like, it's so on the nose when you think about it that the scene of her in the hospital on the phone with her husband saying, like, I know I'll have to pay in some way. Um, and then Rhoda, you know, getting killed by the lightning at the end. Yeah. So that's all of that was tacked on purely because of like the sort of moral codes for movies. But in reality, it was a much darker ending. Yeah, I was wondering that as I saw it. I was like, I thought that Rhoda, because, you know, she puts on her raincoat and then marches out into the night. I thought she was going to kill her mother, like in the hospital, mm, like yeah. pull the plug, one of those things. And I was like, no. Right, right. So when she got struck by lightning, I was like, that can't happen on stage. Uh, I mean, right. it technically kind of could, but it wouldn't be as impactful. I love the stage ending. That sounds incredible. And I'm sad that, you know, different times, <laughs> different codes uh, wouldn't allow it. Ugh. And, but I do like at the end of the movie too, and I'm sure you saw it. I love that they gave this sort of announcement, like little public service announcement at the end. It's like, hey, you just saw a movie with like a really intense ending. Don't spoil it for other people. Mm, yeah, I loved that. Yeah, I love that. It's. I feel like that device, like they, a lot of times, like I think Psycho did that, where it was like, you know, you're not going to be admitted late into this movie because of everything that happens, and you know, and other movies would say the same thing of like, um you know, don't reveal like the shocking final moments of this movie. And sometimes they're not that shocking or in retrospect, it's like, okay, now like that's not that shocking. I mean, some of that's probably the moral code too of like, you know, Hey, this is, we're not endorsing any of this, but um, yeah, I guess they had to watch, but yeah. um, 
the play sounds much I mean I we both love darker endings so but oh, I, yeah. I'm fine with it I'm fine with this you know they did what they had to do the thing with the bad seed is like the end is you know is probably the weakest part of the movie because of this but in terms of a movie that I love or like what I love about it I can look past the ending because like I'm all about everything that happens up to that point. I'm all about the meltdowns and the, and the confrontations and the monologues like that's and the lady acting. And so it's sort of like the way we talked about pieces of a woman where I, I love this movie, but I also see it as a sum of its parts. You know, I love the Mm -hmm. score, you know? Yeah. And let's talk about the music too. Cause I, I really feel like it's like this, Oh, sort of, sort of bizarre at times, rinky dink, but really terrifying, like combination of like instrumentation and orchestration that really lift this movie up and make it suspenseful in a way. I was never scared, but there mm-hmm. were times when like, Christine's like walking through the house. I expected like a total like, um, you know, two twins at the end of the hallway. Just, like, yep. stay, you know, it's sort of like, what are you doing, mother? Yeah, um, because. I mean, we'll get to Patty McCormick, too, but one of my favorite, like, child actor performances, honestly, that I've ever seen, like, top five Hall of Fame, like, just how truly terrifying she was because of the fact that, like, she had figured it out. Yeah. Like, she knew how the world works. She knew exactly how to play the system, and she knew she could get away with it because she's just a polite little girl, and no one expects it. I, it's such a great idea. Yeah, yeah, and I really and I like. Know I'm kind of getting into Patty. Sorry, go ahead. We can we let let's get into Patty. Let's talk about Patty. Yeah. Um, because she is yeah. Again, watching this movie in full again last night, I really got a deeper appreciation of her performance and that like, yeah, especially as a child, like there's so many little choices that she makes. I love. Um, there was one that I noticed this time where. It's when that guy, the um, tasker, the guy who comes to the apartment to have cocktails with Christine and then her father shows up and tasker has that creepy line of like, it's little girls like you that make married men wish they were still bachelors. And I was like, get out of this apartment. Get out. And get out. out. Uh, Go to the prom. And (laughs) (laughs) or don't go to the prom, actually. Um, But he like plays with her pigtail and kind of like. I don't know, flips it like forward or something. And then then she leaves the apartment to go to Monica's for dinner. And we just see from behind as she's leaving the way she just like flips her pony, her pigtail back over her shoulder. It's such a move. And I just was like, Oh, Patty McCormick. And there were other scenes where like Christine is confronting her. There's one scene I think where Christine is confronting her in the bedroom about the crystal ball and she's just staring ahead with just this like stone cold look on her face. And it's like, Oh my God, you are fantastic. I really, uh, Patty McCormick, like I, I watched an interview with her probably from a few years ago, but as an adult and she's just like, she seems so cool. Like she just seems like such a cool lady. And, um, she's had a, a very successful career since this. And, um, you know, I think is the kind of person to still go to like conventions and things and talk about this performance and this movie. So like, uh, yeah, I, I sort of enjoy it even more kind of knowing, oh, Patty McCormick, I love her. Yeah, I, she is terrifying. And just like watching her, I guess more like watching Rhoda and her process, but like, you know, by association, watching Patty McCormick as Rhoda in her process of like how she gets away with this, how she thinks about every move, how she plays her mother and like really plays 
Monica, it's just like she just gets what she wants and does not think twice about it. She has no sense of empathy or remorse for anything she's done. And even when it's really interesting, I was like, oh, I don't really like I feel like maybe she's not as strong when she has those like confession scenes when Mm -hmm. she's like, please, mother, like, don't tell anyone. But maybe it's just like the character of Rhoda doing that you know what i mean kind Mm -hmm. of poorly Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like there's so many layers to that where she's like okay i have to make my mom feel like or like let her know that i feel bad about this but she doesn't feel bad she doesn't give a shit about the people that she killed so but like she has to kind of turn on the waterworks so like the crying isn't as um convincing in a way Mm -hmm. i don't know there's something about that too that it's it's so fun to think about like as someone who might play that role and just someone who watches it or directs it of just how, um, how she kind of navigates through the world of she's sloppy though, at the same time, cause she's still a kid. You know what I mean? It's like, she yep. still can't get away with everything, but she gets away with a lot. It, it kind of reminds me of one of your favorite best supporting actress performances, Ruth Gordon and Rosemary's baby. <laughs> <laughs> Where, like, there's moments where I've had the same thought about um, about Minnie Castavet, where it's, like, it feels like Ruth Gordon is giving these really, like, broad, unconvincing line readings, but it's like, oh, no, I think this is Minnie pretending not terribly uh, convincingly that she's just this mild-mannered, you know, uh, neighbor or, you know, whatever. Like, her manipulation is not always as clean um, as it is at other moments, and I feel like... It's the same thing here where it's like, oh, I feel like Rhoda's just her act is slipping, not Patty McCormick's performance of this moment. I'm glad you actually brought that up because I think that might be my new lens if when I go back and watch Rosemary's Baby. I think that that's it's like it's a new sort of I don't know. What would you identify that as? It's like. I think it's uh, the know, what do we how do you put words to that like is there a technique or something like that it's but it's just like layers <laughs> I don't yeah. know yeah I I think that the tentative title is it's the Jocelyn Fox effect uh, where Ooh. when you go back and revisit it's like oh I didn't see any of this the first time yes, uh, yes. Jocelyn Fox being of course a contestant from season six of Drag Race who on first watch is really uh, seems like one of the more basic queens. But when you rewatch the season, and by the way, this is a queen who gets to like the top six uh, of a really strong cast. When you rewatch it, she has so many moments where it was like, oh, Jocelyn's great. Why did I think she was basic? And so, or why did I not see this other layer? And so I think that's, because I'll tell you, I mean, the first time I saw Rosemary's Baby, I did not like it. And I did not see what was so special about Ruth Gordon's performance. It took me a few watches to like get into it. It's so different from like Eileen Heckert in the bad seat where like the moment that door opens, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Duh. You That's know? true. Yeah. You can smell the booze. Yep. You know, as soon as the door opens. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that that might be it. I think it's, especially since I know, now know the ending of Rosemary's baby to kind of rewind and watch the journey. Cause you know, it's like the Anne Dowd and hereditary, the mini cast of vet and yep. Rosemary's baby, just watching how they pivot and how, calculated it is and yeah how, like both the actress and the character are sort of making decisions that further that plot along right it's interesting it's really interesting and if anything to revisit the like four and a half minute single take sequence of rosemary in the phone booth 
Oh yes. Oh, that terrified me. Yeah. I mean that I I adore that sequence. I just the idea mm-hmm. of it's the middle of the day in on the Upper West Side in Manhattan and it's hot and she's just in this phone booth that's like like enclosed but in totally exposed otherwise. I just ugh. I love that moment so much. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah. Um so yeah, so Patty McCormick, I I fully understand why she was nominated for an Oscar and like it it's and I love the fact that in in you know for some you know sort of fandoms like it's an iconic performance and mm-hmm. you just have to see the pigtails and you know the reference yes. you know great halloween costume for oh. drag queens if they do like a lip sync about mm-hmm. you know I feel like there are a lot of great song options if you dressed up as as Rhoda. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's been like drag queens who've done like parody versions of this, you know, like um, <sighs> in San Francisco, there's like Peaches Christ and Hecklina and like, yes. you know, that kind of drag yes. community that does, you know, whatever happened to Baby Jane parodies. And I, I think mm-hmm. they've definitely dabbled in the bad seat as well. Uh, For obvious queens. reasons, you know. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so... I think, you know, while she's not the best supporting actress in this movie, I have been in some ways the most intrigued to hear your thoughts before we get to Eileen Heckert on Nancy Mm -hmm. Kelly as Christine. Mm. I I loved her. I Mm -hmm. loved her performance. There's so many. I love the transformation of Christine Penmark in this movie. I love... Because, I mean, it's any good movie where, like, things seem normal and you say goodbye to your husband and you're a little sad, but it's, like, the perfect house and she has everything that she wants until she, until shit hits the fan. And her journey of, like, denial and realizing that it's actually happening, but then toggling back and forth between that until really it's, like, Leroy kind of seals the deal, but... The fact that she has to keep it all to herself because she has this obligation as a mother and, like, to her daughter, I guess, is really, really, like, interesting writing and an interesting concept, like, just on paper, too. There's so much to to do with that. But I, I also, it's like, I feel like where I first started to... I, I loved her like for the first like 30 minutes or 35 minutes, but when she sits Rhoda down, when she eventually finds the metal mm-hmm. and how she has to like confront her, I was so, I was like, yes, this is the Christine that I need. Uh-huh. Um, as far as like being, uh, she's like, what did you like? Tell me what you did. Like, is, is this, did this actually happen? But at the same time, Rhoda is such a master manipulator and liar that like she kind of just, skirts like it's it would be so frustrating as a parent to like know you know 99% sure that your child had something to do with this but like they were just avoiding the question like how do you get it I like I just wanted to shake Rhoda sometimes because she just wouldn't tell her but that's where it really started to like I don't know as far as the character hitting her stride not necessarily the performance because I think the performance is solid all the way through and then ultimately Oh my gosh, it's just like the dream monologue that she has, like uh, the way that she pounds her hips when oh, she says that evil woman. The, the <laughs> Yes, that womb moment. Oh, that, that, yes. that womanly rage, that feminine rage she had in that moment. I love that. And I think I saw a still from the Broadway production where she did the same thing. So Nancy's been doing that for 
a long time. Some great choices. Yeah. And the way that she slams her hand on the table at the very end when she's crying, it's like this open. Uh-huh. Uh, it, there's there's so many great choices going down. I I also want to like just this. I also love from like a directorial directorial or directorial. Directorial. I, I think it is. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, the way that the director will say decided to shoot um, Christine discovering the penmanship medal. It sort of reminds me of like a Hitchcock sort of like mm. zoom in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mm-hmm. was like ooh, um, and realizing that she had to like almost keep it from her. Like when when Rhoda comes in, it's like it's like she. She's desperately trying to get some sort of um, control over her daughter and over the situation, but ultimately there, there's nothing that she can do because it, it is great that her husband is away too. And like, yeah. in any modern day version of this, I feel like I would tell Keon right away if I had a daughter who was killing people. <laughs> but right, right. You know, it's it's just for dramatic effect. She doesn't say anything. Um, and the last thing I will say about her is that. Nancy Kelly is still with us today, and she has a birthday coming up on February 2nd, Colin. Oh, I thought she was dead. I thought so, too, unless I got the wrong actress. She died in 1995. Then who am I looking up? (laughs) And and her birthday was on January 2nd. So who are we celebrating? (laughs) Who is it? Who is the mystery birthday? Let me look up here. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Maybe it's Patty McCormick. No, it's not that. Well, it's not Evelyn Varden. She died in like 1958, but it's not wow. Eileen Hecker. I have She's passed. no idea who I was looking at then. You just open the phone book. You're like, uh, Kelly, 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 Nancy Kelly. It's like, well, fuck my drag. <laughs> I had this whole thing because January 2nd is also Ina Garden's birthday. So I had this whole thing going and now it's just, I don't know who it is. I thought Ina was February 2nd. February 2nd. What did I say? You said oh January 2nd. <laughs> One plus two plus one plus one. Yeah. yeah. I, um, well, anyway, so yeah, Chris, uh, Nancy Kelly, she's dead. Yeah. Oh, she died. <laughs> I love oh, that it went well, from, well, she's still with us and she's got a birthday to, oh, well, she's dead. <laughs> oh, she's dead. I feel like I got into like an IMDb word wormhole and then just clicked on, you know, when you click on other movies. I, yep. I'll I, never figure it out. Yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll try. We know we have her birthday and we have her name, so we'll track it down. We'll figure out who this Nancy Kelly is who Maybe was born. Maybe that's it. Because yeah. every day on IMDb they have a list of celebrities who were born on that day. So February second, everyone mark their calendars and then scroll through everyone and see if there's anyone in the bad seat. So right. Probably yeah. not though, because everyone else is adults and probably passed away by now. So I think that's... I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a crazy thought that Patty McCormick is the only surviving cast member of the Bad Seed mm-hmm. essentially. Um, oh yeah. Wow. I um that's a weird thought. Uh so But anyway. Anyway. Who is Nancy Kelly to you in this movie, Colin? Nancy Kelly. So I like fun fact Nancy Kelly was nominated for an Oscar and mm-hmm. won the Tony. Uh, so yes. I love that there is like a lot of, you know, reverence for this performance. Uh, the director, Mervyn Leroy, you know, it, it, according to the IMDb trivia, uh, did not necessarily have Nancy Kelly adjust her performance from stage to screen. And so mm-hmm. there are definitely moments where it was like this, this foot is too big for this shoe, whereas it fit the other shoe maybe more 
more perfectly. Sure, sure. And that's part of what I love about it is that it mm-hmm. is it is a like that's it. I mean, I'm so kind of baffled by this performance because there's so many moments that are just really pitch perfect and small and interesting. I think there's that great moment right before Miss Fern leaves where she like it's just this shot of her looking up like with some tears in her eyes and saying about Rhoda she's going to have to live with this until she dies and you know until for the rest of her life until she dies and like th- those are such like such small quiet moments or when she finds the penmanship medal and then Rhoda comes into the living room and she's like what is it mother what do, what do you want to you know what do you want and Christine just like puts her palm out with the medal in her hand and then she turns and slams it yes. down on the yes, coffee yes, table yes. it's such a like ooh bitch moment and yes. then but then it's like then we get the scene with her father and the dream and then realizing that she's adopted and she's clutching the pillar and crying and um it, you know it it's so over the top and like yet I love that of course I want that mm-hmm. that's exactly what I want like I don't want my foot to fit in this shoe you know like that's what I'm yeah. looking for and so that scene with her father really jumped out to me but then the confrontation when she finds Rhoda trying to throw the shoes in the incinerator uh and she fights yes. her for the shoes and the shoes go flying and I I'm obsessed with that line delivery of like you hit him with the shoes you hit him with the shoes didn't you I just love how she says shoes <laughs> uh and then answer me like I just oh I, yes like the way that she's just like screeches people don't like to go to that 27 like you don't get that all the time and uh I just I mean it, it it's a performance that just keeps escalating and then we we get to that meltdown where she's you know slamming the side of her hand down on the table and crying and and finding so many different variations of the name Monica. I just, I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love that her name is Monica, by the way. I feel like that's such a contemporary name, but I love that that name existed in the 50s. That's just like a small thing that I had in my notes, mm-hmm. Monica. But, yeah, I don't um, I don't think of it. I think of the name Evelyn more than I think of the name Monica for that character. Yes. Oh, for sure. And I, I, I think that uh, the beauty about just Christine Penmark too is like everyone knows her reputation. Everyone knows. I mean, Mrs. Daigle comes in and, and surely lets her know about like mm-hmm. how she sort of had it easier her whole life. So, and the fact that she has no idea how like evil her daughter is too, and she never had like expected to have to deal with this. I mean, no one should ever expect to have to deal with your daughter being a, a killer, but having to do it alone and having to really like take it by the reins and like figure out what you're going to do. And that's kind of like the deterioration of Christine Penmark. And just when she's in that daze for like the last like half hour of the movie, just like, what am I going to do about this? And she can't tell her husband and she can't tell Monica and just a secret like that. It's, it's really compelling storytelling to watch. As yeah. Well. Yeah. And it's like, you know, in a way, like when you think of all of those factors, it's like I I understand why she's having such a meltdown. I understand why, like, oh, yeah, you know, the whole the that whole moment of her watching Leroy die. And like, I'm just I love that that like traumatized voice of it's too late. And like, yes, I wrote that down, too. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, that whole moment in the bay window with, you know, with her and Monica overlapping is it's just like 
it's such intense actressing. It is just like a, mm-hmm. it's just a shot in the arm of actressing. And I, I don't know who told Nancy Kelly to do this or if it was Nancy Kelly, but the way she sobs, Monica, is like my obsession. Yes. My obsession. Like it is, it is quintessential chewing the scenery and I wouldn't change a mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, bring it on. It's like some, like if I were a different person, I would call it like slightly camp, but it's it's not. It's like, it's exactly what's needed. It's theatrical, it's melodramatic and and a, like not for nothing, a really dramatic moment. Like, yeah, it's like everything comes crashing down in that moment. So yeah, she deserves to like heave <laughs> through I, the name Monica, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, in, in interviews I've seen, maybe Patty McCormick talking about this, maybe trying to justify it a bit of like, the world of the bad seed is not quite reality. Like it's a little mm. heightened or it's a little, and some of it might be because it feels a bit like a play, but I love the idea that there is kind of a surreal quality to this world. I think the music contributes to that. But I think when we take away the expectation that this performance should feel like Francis McDormand in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, yes. then then it works. I mean, I love that that meltdown it also transforms into like this rage with the music playing. And then mm-hmm. there, that moment when she slams her hand on the desk and then just like hurls herself towards Rhoda's door, like the, the little room where she's playing music. Yes. Oh, I, God, the music, the piano music is so perfect. Oh, I just I love that moment. And. You know, the the stop that music scream is like, you know, Nancy Kelly walked so Tony Collette could run, you know? Yes, exactly. Uh, it is exceptionally good and really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like what I love about that moment the most. I mean, I love the scream, but then Rhoda opens the door and... I noticed this watching it this time is the way Christine charges at her and Monica stops her. Like it's so forceful and Monica's kind of talking over her, but she has this great line of like, you knew you could turn away. You could just play piano. You could just turn away. Mm-hmm. Like I love the implication of that, of like you knew that you could just do this and then just go play the fucking piano. Like that's what's fucking wrong with you. Like I love that that's what that's about, you know? Yes, Ugh. yes. And that's where like Rhoda's, it's like she's not playing the part well enough because she it's like to really pull off being or getting away with it. There has to be some sort of empathy. There has to be like because if my mother was running around the house like that, I would be terrified. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I would or at least pretend to be terrified. Like she knows exactly why her mother's doing that. But the fact that she's perfectly calm about it and then and then, you know, Monica doesn't think like it. it but it does like have the same effect like. Monica's like, you know, you're scaring, she doesn't say you're scaring her, but like she's, she's more on Rhoda's side and it's ultimately Christine who looks crazy. Yeah. Because the daughter's acting so calm. So in a way it does sort of work too, but it would work even better if Rhoda was like afraid and maybe like ran up to, you know, Monica and said like, help me, you know, something like that. Right, right. Playing even more innocent and like not, like exactly, like playing the notes you would expect from a child. Uh, in that moment having since watched this movie I feel like you know there's those lines that you just like get embedded in your head and keep repeating and so I'll just walk around the house talking to Marco and I'll just repeat Nancy Kelly's line when they're leaving the apartment and Monica saying um will you be all right dear and she goes I'll be all right I'll be all right it's just that (laughs) screaming like I just I love that I love the I'll be all right I'll be all right like (laughs) 
sound. Oh, I, you know, it's like whether, because I think some people love this performance. Some think it's wildly over the top. And I think it's both. And it's also like, you got to give it to her. She showed up and did the job. Like she rings the rag out in this performance. And I, I just, uh, I just love it. And it's perfectly like, it's the perfect crescendo. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't come to her. Like she realized like that Leroy sort of getting killed at the end is like, you know, the moment. And then mm-hmm. it kind of dies down, but it's still like tense at the same time. And her giving her the sleeping pills and then going off to bed. The gunshot scared me. I, 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 I jumped because mm. I, even though... Yeah, I, I, I honestly didn't expect it. I thought she just gave her the pills and was like going to kill her. And then she just went to bed and that was it. And she was going to act as if nothing happened. But like, obviously, you know, I'm sure there are um, autopsies back in the uh, the 50s that would reveal that she had some sort of sleeping pill thing. So she also had to kill herself in the process, too, but unsuccessfully. So, yeah, the gunshot scared me. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny they because she mentions the gunshot in like conversation or the gun in like conversation mm-hmm. with uh, Monica and her brother and Tasker early on, and I was like, that is oh, such yeah. a quintessential literal Act One gun to say. Oh, I'm even yes. afraid of the gun, the the you know whatever the little gun that Kenneth keeps in the safe. It was like, oh God, I see this coming. Yep, um, yep, yep, yep. Well, we have gone on and not you know without good reason but we have gone on for quite a bit without talking exclusively and extensively about mrs daigle and extension eileen hecker so i i have dedicated a whole episode to my thoughts on her so i want to hear your thoughts on this performance like that bsa experience like what what's your takeaway from mrs daigle uh an excellent question, Colin. I would say I want to first talk about one thing that I saw on YouTube because I was I was really interested of whether or not Eileen Heckard ever won an Oscar eventually, which she did for mm-hmm. Butterflies Are Free. And I don't have you seen that uh, acceptance speech? Have you watched uh, that on YouTube yet? I think I did. I think I did watch it. I, rem- <clears throat> I remember her dress and I think I remember okay. it being a very short speech. It is a very short speech by, you know, by definition, not really like. One that I'd be like, you have to watch it. But one thing that drives me crazy is that was the year that Shelley Winters was nominated for the Poseidon Adventure and Robert Duvall laughs when yeah. he reads her name. Yeah. And Shelley Duvall, Shelley Duvall, I keep saying that. Shelley Winters, jeez, um, just sort of sits there. I mean, I'm glad that she didn't laugh with him, but what a shit move. That made me like hate him instantly. Yeah, I because that jumped. I, I'm remembering that now. And then I was like reading through the comments, like, "What is this?" And I guess someone in the audience, like a friend, gave him a, the finger, like he was reacting to something else. And I don't know. Oh. It it also felt like now it, this is the this is the best supporting actress Oscar. Now is not the time to fuck around. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I remember it, that. Maybe. It made me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, but Eileen Heckert won, and that it was beautiful. But in uh, a short speech. But anyway, I, Eileen Heckert in this movie, because this is the first time I've ever seen her in anything. I mean, her the the huskiness in her voice, mm-hmm. like it's like it's like Strichian, if that makes it's sense. Strichian, you know I mean? absolutely, absolutely. Um, the stumbling, the the like pitch perfect drunk acting 
where just when you think it's getting to that point of being cartoony, she dials it back yeah. um, and, and sort of snaps out of it. Because I, I love, because how many, I mean, granted, you know, we've all been sort of at that, not emotionally drunk like this, but like we've all been pretty hammered at one point or another, I would say. And there is that moment where you like, you, you kind of just let it take over you, but then you are able to snap out of it if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing that played on screen was really just, I was, the the, the levels of, because it is grief at the end of the day and anger and um, suspicion and just like, she was an alcoholic before this even happened. So we know that like, She's in trouble and just like the um, not knowing what she's going to do and just like grabbing onto, um, you know, Christine and like really being nervous about it, too. And the mm-hmm. way that like everyone kind of reacts to her as if she's I don't know, like she deserves to be acting like this. She deserves yes. to have the Tony Collette screaming at the table, too. And like the fact that they're granted, yes, she's she's achieving this she's she's self-medicating in a way so it's 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 looked down on especially like in the 50s but she's struggling and her husband is just kind of like this absent man who just is like her i don't know it's it he's not even like present in any part of like the healing process he's just the one who follows her around to pick her up at whoever's house she happens to be at that day but i I loved the entrance. There's so, I mean, and in, just in general too, which we're going to go into. So um, the choices of like every single thing that she does in this movie of how she talks to people and how she has to, cause she does go there. I called it the swoop when she, like, oh. <laughs> she like swoops her hand. I mean, I was screaming and, and th- that's kind of where I'll stop for now. But I, I was in awe of her. That was the moment that I was like, well, I mean, I'm excited for Nick to see this whole performance, but I feel like uh, the, uh, I've got a right Swo- to know who took that penmanship medal and the big arm <laughs> that swing. Was it I was for like, me, yes. he's going to love this moment. That that moment is, I think it has moved into one of my favorite Best Supporting Actress performances. I, I think it is so economical. I can't believe how many notes that she plays in one line. I mean... I think, you know, there's the moment where um, when she's laughing about how, like, she says, oh, you know, Mr. Daigle married quite late in life. Of course, I wasn't quite, you know, what they call a spring chicken myself, and she laughs at herself. And then all of that feels like just drunken rambling, and then it sinks into, we won't have any more children. And, like, the writing is genius. To be able to, like, play that moment and then have it settle into, like, one of the dark truths of Mrs. Daigle's life is just like so hard to play and she does it in the span of like 10 seconds it's funny when we were talking about nancy kelly i was thinking of like actresses that she reminds me of and i can't quite place it but with nancy kelly i feel like there's an annette benning quality i don't know if that read for you there's like something annette benningy about her i see that i see that i would love to see annette benning in that role right and then with mrs daigle it's certainly deep stretchian qualities but then there's these moments where i was like oh i want to see alice and janney play this role like i want to oh, see like yes. that and so i felt like you know 
it's like on Drag Race, not to compare queens, but like <laughs> that, I, I, it feels like what Eileen Heckert is doing in 1956 is paving the way for Alice and Janney and I, Tanya and, um, you know, uh, Melissa Leo and the fighter. Like she's doing, she's like an early version of that. Yes, as as far as like that, the rasp in her voice and like everything that goes along. I just feel like there are some actresses that lend themselves better to playing alcoholics. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And part of it does come with like a little bit of a smoker's husk, you know? Yeah. Uh, And just really having that, I've been through a lot sort of voice. But sometimes people are just born with that. Like Melissa Leo, I mean, Elaine Stritch obviously was a smoker. I don't know if... um. Melissa Leo smoke, but like it just it just feels right. Yeah, and I think I because uh, Eileen Heckert's son has like posted like a bunch of shit on YouTube of like old clips of hers, and I and has you know responded in comments a lot. And uh, he did say something in regards to her voice of like you know that came from a daily smoking habit. So um, so that checks out. But one of the other things I love about this performance is. She's drunk in both of her scenes, and like that, I think is tricky territory. And I would have to imagine other people who've done productions of The Bad Seed with lesser <clears throat> actresses than Eileen Heckert might not be able to find the, like the variations. But I feel like with this performance, like who Mrs. Daigle is, and like not only within the scenes are there all these different notes she plays, but the version we see in her first scene versus her second scene is so mm. different. I, I think it wouldn't have been as incredible of a performance if we saw the same Mrs. Daigle in the first scene as we did in the second one, where she's just kind of like a little more out of control and a little more in her drunkenness and in her grief. Whereas when she comes back again, it's like, this is a Mrs. Daigle who knows something and like is here on a mission. And I like, I just, and, and yet it's still drunk. Like the fact that she can find those nuances and yet still play that like drunk energy is just incredible to me. Yeah, it is an incredible, like we've talked about drunk acting and I feel like there's always like, it has to be controlled with, with also being out of control, I guess, because it's so easy to do it. Like if you are actually drunk the way that you act, but finding those little nuances and I love when she talks like really fast. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's like, someone took the metal off a shirt and it couldn't come off because I had a little lock with a clasp on the back. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of, <laughs> it's almost like she's crying, but she doesn't cry. It's like the, the, the vocal work that she does and the pauses that she uses. And when she chooses to speed up and reel it back. And, and especially that second visit when she finally, finally meets Rhoda you're like oh my god what is going to happen here and she hugs her she hugs her Colin it's crazy it's that moment is so so what I love is you know she's sitting on the couch having a drink and I think of all the acting choices Eileen Hackert has in this movie I think one of the ones I love the most is that you know Christine brings out the the bar cart um any old thing will do. Like, I just, I love that. Like, uh, you know, if you have anything to drink, Christine, like just the openness of that. And then Christine brings the bar cart out and she has that great line of like, well, ain't we swank Plaza Naster. And (laughs) then, and you think, oh, she's just a lush. And then she starts to say like, um, 
I want to talk to Rhoda because she knows something. And as she says she knows mm-hmm. something, she takes the cap of the decanter off the bottle like before Christine can take it. And it's such yes. a like a fuck you moment of like, I know exactly what I'm doing right now. And yeah. it makes me wonder, like she's definitely drunk, but she is also playing a bit of a like con here like she is not letting on to how much she knows or what she wants to ask Rhoda and I think that scene when then Rhoda enters and like there's a great little micro moment of both of uh Mrs. Daigle kind of seeing like we see her eyes over the top of the cup and then we also see Christine behind her and just like seeing their facial reactions to the door opening is yes. it's just so good and then they have that moment on the couch and she's hugging Rhoda and it's like she starts to reveal she's like you know so why'd you take the medal you know if, if you know when if, if you yeah she'd say would you say that he won at fair and square yeah and yeah yeah so if you thought he won at fair and square then why'd you take the medal like mm-hmm. I love that it's like the snake wrapping around you know the child yes. and like starting to constrict and it's so Oh, it's so great. And then obviously Monica, you know, leaves with Rhoda and the way that she then transitions to like being hurt and being kind of ashamed. And my other favorite acting choice is the way she pushes her hair back along her head. Mm, It's like that whenever Mrs. Daigle is feeling kind of like upset or embarrassed or whatever she does, like she pushes the hair back. She's like, "Uh, I didn't know she had such social obligations, you know? Yeah, I love that line. Ugh. Oh, yeah, there my. is something is it, I guess more so in that second scene she does say like I'm not as drunk as you think I am or I'm not drunk at all you know mm-hmm. when she does snap out of it she probably is but I guess like that line is like I'm not as you know uh I'm still aware of what's going on and I'm still aware that you know something and I need to get to the bottom of this before you know who knows what happens she just drinks yeah. herself to death really Yeah, because she, I think it's that big thing of like, she knows something now. She has more information. She has a place to go other than just depression and grief. She has some rage, you know, and and some Mm -hmm. answers that she needs. And I think um, it's, it's so, it's such a tragic character because it's like, you know, when you really think of it, it's like this woman's son was killed like she says at one point in that first scene it's a pleasure to stay drunk when your little boy's been killed and you think well what of course like of like yeah and and it's so awful that christine like here she is like i want to know who took the penmanship medal what happened to the penmanship medal christine is sitting on the penmanship medal you know and and i just think that that scene i'm so team mrs daigle i love when Christine's like, well, you know, maybe you should leave and she's and not come back or whatever. And she's like, I wouldn't come back for a million dollars on the spot. You know, she's mm-hmm. just she's the the rejection of Mrs. Daigle. And, yes. you know, I mean, nobody tucks in a shirt like Mrs. Daigle. Oh, I loved that. I loved that just putting whatever dignity she had left in her was just filtered through that tucking in of the shirt you know genius which i hope she did on broadway every night and yes and i hope the so perfect timing of that line of like i'm not gonna wait for mr daigle i know where i'm not wanted and i'm not wanted where uh people have such social obligations if you know what i mean yes. i just but it's and, so sing-songy sometimes yeah you know what i mean yeah <laughs> I love the way she says, like, well, she's tucking in the shirt. I'm not going to wait for Mr. Daigle. Like, it's 
she does these like she'll do those sing-songy notes and then these incredibly like undirector directable notes like yes in the first scene when you know mr daigle says uh come on let's take you home where you can rest and she puts her hands on the couch she goes all right let's go home the way mm-hmm. how do you tell someone to do that you know what i mean like it it's i don't know why i'm obsessed with that i'm obsessed with that all right yeah let's go home i just think that's you know and so when she does it this again here of like not gonna wait for mr daigle i know where i'm not wanted and i'm not want like that yes she has to come up with that on her own and and then for that to all happen, and then she looks up and she looks and we get that shot of Christine looking sick and sloppy. And she yes. then, then she transforms into this like compassion of like, you're looking pretty sick and sloppy. And like, mm-hmm. it's kind of incredible because it's here's this moment where these two mothers are grieving their children in different ways who have like a moment of like they could connect, but like this crime stands between that. They actually have so much more in common than Mrs. Daigle thinks. Oh, yes. And, and it's so sad in this moment that like, you know, Christine is too far gone at that point and they're both too far gone, you know? Mm-hmm. It's I, perfect. I love it. I mean, I, again, like I could, the, the, there's two more acting choices I have to queen out about. One yes, is when the door, when the phone rings and Christine goes to answer it. Now it's worth watching this again because it's one of Christine's was one of Nancy Kelly's like worst acting choices. Is she like okay. pulls she like takes the phone off the wall and it like stumbles back a little bit as if she's just like so thrown off. Like it's so over the top. <laughs> yeah. I love it. When I say worst as in best. Um Yeah. But then she's on the phone with Mr. Daigle and the and the camera, the shot is we see Mrs. Daigle in the foreground on the couch and Christine in the background on the phone. And then when Christine says, Oh, oh no, Mr. Daigle, and then Eileen Heckert does this like kind of knowing, oh, kind of smile. Like I can't even describe mm-hmm. it, but she does this like, oh, I've been caught kind of like, all right, you know, I'll come out with my hands up. I get it. It's yeah, time's up. It's genius. It's so sober. And then Mr. Daigle arrives. And I think this is just like so devastating when he says it's time to go home and she starts to sob oh my god it's time to go home and like what that means yeah uh, uh, uh. and like the and i you know the mrs daigle suite like the music that plays when the daigles leave that apartment both scenes is just oh it's so incredible i i i i think it is easily yes in my top 10 best supporting actress performances yeah, it is top tier work. It really is. Like as far as what we look for and is I didn't look it up, but is that is any of I, I need some kind soul out there to put like a Mrs. Daigle compilation on YouTube. Is it out there, Colin, or not? I can make that happen because I've searched. <laughs> okay, well let's do I've it. I've searched. <laughs> uh I can I can probably make that happen. I think so her son on YouTube, his name is I the at least the YouTube account, I think that's actually his name, is Luke Yankee. And so he has a lot of great clips of her. Um there's another movie that she was in in the fifties called Hot Spell, where she has she plays like a neighbor. Um and she's incredible. Like you could find the movie, and like the whole the whole movie is kind of heavy. Shirley MacLaine's in it. Um, okay, it is a very kind of like that. death of a salesman kind of energy. Oh, but, I see. I see. Uh, but Eileen Heckert is amazing in that as well. So um, 
if you want more okay. of like this like level of acting, but in like sort of a lesser known movie, that's that's one to put on the list. Great. Um, forward to that. Yeah. But otherwise, in terms of like a compilation of Mrs. Daigle moments, that may be something I need to um, put on Twitter, a la our BSA Megamix. Yes, exactly. Yes, we love a BSA Megamix. Yeah. Um, well, that, any other thoughts on the bad seed before we put it in the ground and, you know, wait till spring? I know. Yeah, right. I, I, I was texting you too. It's like I, I I can't stop thinking about this movie, but really I can't stop thinking about like these performances. Specifically, I think obviously Eileen Hecker, but but also Nancy Kelly too. It's like I I can't wait to go back and watch this again. Cause I think the mm. first time and I think I watched this on Sunday or Monday. Maybe I watched it Monday. I can't remember, but it's been a couple days. So I, I want to go back and refresh now, especially having this conversation and really looking at all, uh, like we said, those layers of Mrs. Daigle specifically, but also concentrating more on Nancy Kelly. Cause I think that I was so eager for Mrs. Daigle to come back for, you know, for good reason, but it's not that I missed, you know, it's just like the first watch sort yeah. of situation where you, it, there's always going to be more that you pick up on and more choices to kind of queen out about you know privately in my bedroom but right. uh yeah that's what i'm looking forward to the most with this movie and i i would encourage anyone to you know spend the three bucks on youtube or you said it's free somewhere else so yeah also uh, yeah internet archive search. yeah i'll, yes, pu- I'll put yes, that link yes. in the description it's uh it's great it's it's such a i mean it definitely has camp qualities and in, in in the best way and but if you love actressing like and and it you this know is it before rewatching it last night, I thought, oh, like maybe the first hour or so was kind of slow, but I, w- I was wrong. I was sucked right in and, yes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, was like, oh, I actually, they really do set up all the pieces with every scene. Um, so even though it does have kind of that pacing of a black and white 1950s movie in some ways where it's like, you know, long dialogue sequences, there's actually like a lot of details in there. You know, it's not just kind of like, you know, padding the, you know, padding the scene or anything or padding the movie. Um, yeah, they don't waste any time getting into like, you know, the incident at yeah. the lake or whatever at the picnic. So yeah, they, it's paced really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there we go. The bad seed. Uh, so glad I finally great watched movie. It. Yes. Welcome. Welcome to the bad seed. Uh, <laughs> add it to your catalog. Yes. Um, oh, I shall. So, uh, uh, this, of course, leads us to our last segment of the episode, which, of course, is our BSA of the week, in which we queen out on a performance or a song or a food or a thing or perhaps even a podcast that is our uh, acting as the best supporting actress of our lives this week. Um, you may have others, but I suspect we at least have one in common. Yeah, I mean, I have others, but I think I might just save them for next week because of, you know, the main events, our BSA of the week. I don't, I, but I also want to open the floor. Do you have any other nominees before we announce our sort of shared BSA of the week? Because yeah. you were the one who found this, so maybe you should start this, Colin. Sure, yeah, this is certainly my BSA of the week. I mean, I think this, it, it just became very clear. Um, so I was just like... I have no idea how you kind of get into the, the podcast rabbit hole of like podcasts you would like. And um, there's just so many podcasts. There's so many podcasts. And I don't know how I stumbled onto this one, but 
uh, it was called, it is called Not Without My Sister. And mm. what I knew was like two Irish sisters just having a gab every week. And I thought, oh, how bad could that be? The reviews, you know, were really positive. Like the importance of reviews, you know, it's true. I evaluate yeah. podcasts based on the reviews. And, you know, there were people saying, oh, I was laugh out loud funny and so relatable and blah, blah. And I was like, this at least put it on the list. But sometimes I'll add things to like, I've subscribed to podcasts that I haven't listened to any episodes of because I'm just like not making the commitment to like trying something mm -hmm. new. Yes. So I think this may have almost fallen in that territory. And then um, my thumb slipped and I hit play on the most recent episode at the time, which was about aging. And I think a minute in, I was like, oh my God, I love this. I love <laughs> these women. It's Rosemary and Beatrice McCabe. I think one of them is a is a writer. The other one is a fashion designer. And mm -hmm. they are both Irish and now living in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they are, I mean, we've talked about the bald and the beautiful with Katya and Trixie. And I feel like this is giving me <clears throat> all that and more with less commercials. Yeah. Go on. I, I don't know if that's your opening uh that, that would be my those are my opening it, yeah. thoughts so i so i listened to that episode i fell in love and then i texted you and it was like hey i just found this podcast i think you would really love it put it on the list and i thought well maybe you know it, it, sometimes you know i do the same thing someone makes a recommendation that i probably would love and it just slips by and yeah. uh i was i was thrilled that i didn't it wasn't long after that i then heard back from you um with what oh, seemed like yeah. similar feelings Yes, two Irish women just having a laugh and just talking about whatever was like they have themes for the episode too. So I went, I listened to the one about aging, which I loved, and then mm -hmm. I went back and listened to everything from the beginning. And that first episode, Colin, is great because oh, it's, yeah. It's, did you go back? I or did. Are you working your way? Okay, great. I Because it's, it's all about their mother. And I know that that was something that we both really loved. Yeah. It's when they talk about their mother and their father occasionally too, but mostly their mother and like her preference for Rosemary over Beatrice. It's so good. Yeah. It's I, so funny. I'm just completely smitten by these two women and this podcast. And it is like, uh, it just is bringing me so much joy. And I also am i i want to write them a review but i also want to like listen to all the episodes but I, I i i just want if you're listening rosemary and, and beatrice we we love you both <laughs> yeah and i i can't wait to just give them a little bit of love and or send them an email because um i i love that you found i was like furious with colin that he found this first <laughs> but like how would i have ever even searched for something like this i don't know but i am so glad that you stumbled on it and now that I too am sharing um, in that joy, because it that's it, it is so great and so smart and so funny and fresh. And these women are like kind of around our age. I know Beatrice is a little bit older, mm -hmm. and Rosemary is about thirty six. I feel ish. Yep. Um, but ugh, the stories, their stories are incredible. They have yeah. such great comedic timing, and of course they're sisters, so they they're familiar with each other, and just the. Um, I don't know how sisters can be like cutting at the same time, but it's all out of love. And uh, it's a, it's a perfect marriage of everything that you've ever wanted in a podcast. It's yeah, I agree. It is so organically funny. And yes. Um, and that first episode is a great first episode. I mean, 
the whole thing of them like getting the giggles before singing at the end and then singing oh, that beautiful fucking song that was so like, lovely like they spend they have a whole sequence of like laughing about planning their mother's funeral and then they wrap it up by singing this beautiful song they would sing at the funeral and i was like this is so quintessentially irish like yes where you can joke about the funeral and you can laugh about death and then you can have this beautiful moment and like and then laugh about that next week like i just it felt so familiar and so like mm-hmm. immediately I just was so charmed by them and it's yeah so I'm I am kind of working both backwards and forwards I'm listening to new episodes as they come out listening yeah. to old episodes so I'll meet somewhere in the middle um it's uh, yeah it is such a funny podcast and so not without my sister highly highly recommended um yes and like the way that it is just so conversational like I for, I feel like nowadays, especially like in isolation and whatnot, it just, it feels good to feel like you're just, you know, a part of a conversation every once in a while, you know? Yeah. And I too was also in a podcast sort of slump. Like I have my go-tos, but I, I have been looking for something, something. I have been looking for something new and this couldn't have been better timing. So and that's why I probably w- went right into it. I was like, "Yeah, right. this is what I need." Yes, this is perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's same way. I feel like this, I found this at the right time. Yeah, it's it's a great podcast. Everyone, go listen, subscribe, support those women. They're yeah. incredible. Yeah, and um, don't mind us as we get played off because uh. we have completed our queening out for the episode, and uh, that's just what happens every week. So, uh, where can folks find more of you? Uh, they can find me on my newest podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa celebration podcast. Um, and I think soon, I think it might be time for some guest calling. So <gasps> look out. Oh, um, I'm God. super excited to start introducing that. And um, you could also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Kochanov. How about you, Colin? Well, of course, you can hear more of me on All Right, Mary, talking about season 13 of Drag Race or Drag Race UK, if you're a Patreon. Um, You can hear me on All Right. You actually already said that Groundhog Day. You can hear me on All Right, Mary. You can hear me on In the Details. I am putting the finishing touches on the script for my next Cherishing Valerie. So a little later than expected, but I think I'm going to come in under the wire. And I'm it's actually coming out way better than I thought it would. So I'm very excited about that. Yay. Um. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker, Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore, and you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Twitter at BSA Pod. And you can also email us at thebsapod at gmail.com. We've, we've got some great emails recently, some super funny and super short, and some that are just been like lovely uh, emails of people listening and recommending some things too. I, I need to make a short list. I'm going to go over that next week. I'm going to make a mental note to um, give a shout out to those people that are emailing us because they've been really funny. Yeah, some best supporting <laughs> listeners we'll talk about next week. Yes. Yeah. And uh, a big thank you, of course, to all of the ladies and even a couple of gentlemen in the Bad Seed, Patty McCormick. Uh, Evelyn Verdan, uh, mm. you know, the incomparable Nancy Kelly. Yes. Even a uh, shout out to Maxwell Anderson for writing the play based on the book by William March, just to throw those gentlemen out there as well. I think at least one of them was gay, so uh, I think Oof. that's fair. I mean, even better. And a thank you and a congratulations to Eileen Heckert. You are uh, 
You are my queen. You are my birthday queen. And <laughs> the recipient of the Beatrice Drake Award for Excellence in Nuance. Yes. Uh, so, double honors. Yeah. Let it be said. And, uh, and that, as they say, is that. <laughs>